Greetings. Welcome to White Throne Baptist Church Online. Today we're going to talk about the law of God. We'll talk about the law of God. So turn in your Bibles to a familiar passage for many of you. This will be in Exodus chapter 20. And in Exodus chapter 20, what we're going to do is we're going to look at what's known as the Ten Commandments. Now, to put this in context, in this series beginnings, here's where we are. We saw the world created. We saw mankind fall into sin. Uh, we saw the entire earth judged with a flood. Then we saw mankind try to make a name for himself by building a great tower at Babel. And God confused their languages, and that gave rise to multiple nations in the world, distinct people groups. And this is when he selected one of those. He selected Abraham. He gave promises to him concerning a land and blessing, and to make him a blessing indeed to all nations. Then he reiterated that promise to his son Isaac and to his grandson Jacob and his great-grandson Joseph we focused in on and saw that he was taken into, uh, he was sold into captivity by his brothers. And for that sin, a great famine came on the land and he was able to save uh, not only many, many Egyptians, but his entire family. And that's how they got into Egypt. Once in Egypt, uh, after some time, a pharaoh came along that did not respect that family, did not know them, and eventually began to argue, ah, they're getting too numerous, we need to enslave these people, so he enslaved them, and that's when we have the Israelites in slavery in Egypt. And we come to the book of Exodus, and we see that God then chooses Moses to be a deliverer for the people of Israel. And God sends Moses... And he does through Moses uh, 10 really incredible plagues, which we looked at a bit last time, last two times actually, to let the people go. Pharaoh eventually lets the people go. They went out into the wilderness led by a pillar of cloud by day, a pillar of fire by night. But God didn't take them the short way, but took them into the wilderness. He didn't go the logical way directly to the land that he was going to give them, but instead took a detour. And the reason was that the Egyptians weren't quite done with them yet. Egyptians realized, what have we done? We just gave away the people of Israel. Let's go get them. And so Pharaoh takes hundreds of chariots and begins to pursue the people of Israel. And they end up becoming pressed between Migdal, a place called Migdal, and the sea. In Exodus chapter 14, the army is coming. They are trapped. The pillar of cloud and fire moves around to stand between the Egyptians and the Israelites. And that's when God tells Moses, lift your arms over the sea. Moses lifts his arms. The sea parts. They walk across the Red Sea on dry land. And as Pharaoh's army pursues them into this, God puts them into confusion. So they're milling around in this channel that he has created through the Red Sea. And then he brings the sea crashing down upon Pharaoh and all of his armies. And so this is a, a powerful context that we have because what we need to understand about the 10 plagues and the 11th plague, if you like to call it that, of crashing down the sea on all the Egyptians, utterly destroying their army, ending all pursuit by the Egyptians of the Israelites. We need to see this concept, context of how incredibly awesome all of that is. 
We need to try to put ourselves into that situation, understand what would it be like to have witnessed these things? What would it have been like to be there in the Exodus, to watch the things that God has done that no one disputes? Everyone has seen it all happen. You've been a part of it. You've seen it. And it gives the result of that. In Exodus chapter 14, verse 31, it says, So the people feared the Lord, and they believed in the Lord and in his servant Moses. So all of these things that they witnessed and saw, of course, brought about great faith in them because they saw these things happen. They saw these things unfold. And so they not only believed God, but they believed that God was working through this fellow Moses, that he was clearly speaking truthfully for God. And so uh, after that, they wander around for two or three months, and God has more things to show them. He shows them that he would give them all that they need. He gives them their food. He gives them their water, both miraculously. He gives them victory over some enemies that come and attack them quite miraculously. He fights for them. And then we come to Exodus chapter 19. In Exodus chapter 19, we understand that they have come to Mount Sinai. And this is near the place where uh, God told Moses from the burning bush, this will be the sign for you. I'm going to bring you and the people back here to worship me. And indeed, he fulfills that in Exodus 19. They approach this area, Mount Sinai. They camp there, and God spoke to Moses. Now, let's look at um, chapter 19, verses 3 through 6, and see what he says there to Moses. It says, while Moses went up to God, the Lord called to him out of the mountain saying, thus you shall say to the house of Jacob and tell the people of Israel. Now you'll hear Jacob and Israel intermingled for the name of these people. That's because they're descendants of Jacob who was renamed by God as Israel. In verse four, it says, you yourselves have seen what I did to the Egyptians and how I bore you on eagles wings and brought you to myself. Now, therefore, if you will indeed obey my voice and keep my covenant, you shall be my treasured possession among all peoples, for all the earth is mine, and you shall be to me a kingdom of priests and a holy nation. Uh, These are the words that you shall speak to the people of Israel. So God is revealing his intention. I'm going to make a very special people of you. You're going to be a kingdom of priests. You're going to be a holy nation. That means a nation set apart to his purposes in the world. God has shown his mighty power. God has shown his great sovereignty. He said what he was going to do and he did it. That means he's in charge. He knows what's going on and essentially says to them, look what I've done. I've carried you to this place and I'm going to make something of you. I'm going to make you this kingdom of priests, a holy nation. Then he told Moses to have the people consecrate themselves. That's a word that means to set themselves apart or to prepare themselves for a ceremony. And God speaks to all the people. Now he gives to Moses certain requirements for them to be able to hear his voice. They have to uh, stay apart from sexual activity for three days. They have to physically clean their and wash their clothes. And they have to, you know, have this solemn uh, assembly together with the Lord. And so it's all showing us that this is a very serious 
situation that we're looking at. It's very serious that God is meeting with these people. And think about this from your own point of view. When you have guests over to your house, you clean up your house. And I know we all pretend, oh, it's always like this. You know, when people come over, oh, you didn't have to clean up for us. It wasn't any kind of fuss. And, you know, I've always wanted to do this. I've always wanted to take pictures of the house one day when it's actually cleaned up and put them on the wall. And as people come in the door, say, this is what our house looks like clean. Now deal with it. It's really not. But nevertheless, we prepare for meeting with people. And I would dare say that if someone, particularly from a worldly perspective, important was coming over to the house, then we would probably clean up even a little better. Um, this is what's happening here. God is saying, I'm going to meet with you. Now, this is really serious. And what I want you to do is set a boundary around the mountain. Anyone that touches the mountain, you're going to have to kill them, but you're going to have to kill them from a distance because you're not going to touch the mountain. And it's, it's really fascinating, the seriousness of this situation. And I'm setting this up as we're going to read chapter 20 so that you'll understand that God has shown these people great redemption, awesome power, but now he's going to make a formal covenant with them and a proper response to God is worship, obedience. And so they're given this instructions for three days of consecration before he speaks. And we see here a theme of the Bible unfold. A holy God is meeting with people who of themselves are not holy. And this is something that we're going to see throughout the scripture. When God shows up, there's always this fear. There's always this danger. And there's always, because behind all of this is the law. That's what we're going to see in Exodus 20. God is meeting with his new people, Israel, and here's what he said. Let's go to that scripture, shall we? It says here in Exodus 20, God spoke all these words saying, I am the Lord your God who brought you out of the land of Egypt, out of the house of slavery. And then begins what we recognize generally as 10 great commandments. He says, you shall have no other gods before me. You shall not make for yourself a carved image or any likeness of anything that's in heaven above, or that is in the earth beneath, or that is in the water under the earth. You shall not bow down to them or serve them, for I, the Lord your God, am a jealous God, visiting the iniquities of the fathers on the children to the third and the fourth generation of those who hate me, but showing steadfast love to thousands of those who love me and keep my commandments. You shall not take the name of the Lord your God in vain, for the Lord will not hold him guiltless who takes his name in vain. Remember the Sabbath day to keep it holy. Six days you shall labor and do all your work, but the seventh day is a Sabbath to the Lord your God. On it you shall not do any work, you or your son or your daughter, your male servant or your female servant or your livestock or the sojourner who is within your gates. For in six days the Lord made heaven and earth, the sea and all that is in them, and rested on the seventh day. Therefore the Lord blessed the Sabbath day and made it holy. Honor your father and mother that your days may be long in the land 
that the Lord your God is giving you. You shall not murder. You shall not commit adultery. You shall not steal. You shall not bear false witness against your neighbor. You shall not covet your neighbor's wife. You shall not covet your neighbor's house or his male servant or his female servant or his ox or his donkey or anything that is your neighbor's. Let's begin with a word of prayer. Father God, we have seen your words here this day and we pray that you'll give us understanding of these things. We pray that your will will be done by this, that we will get the real intent of the law and that these things will convict us, Lord, and drive us uh, to lives of obedience to you. Lord, let us see our great need for Jesus Christ. Let us see our need for you to interpret these scriptures to us by your spirit. And then let us see you. Let us see you as you are revealed in your scriptures. We thank you in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, this is a profound thing that we've seen here. And again, what I want to point out is I want to point out several things that we're going to learn here today. First of all, we're going to learn uh, that... I don't know how I did that, but it was fun. Uh, The law of God reveals several things to us. First of all, it reveals the character of God, and it reveals the will of God for his people, and it reveals our need for a Savior. And so I want to begin with this first part, that the law of God reveals the character of God. The first thing that reveals of God is his grace. When we look in uh, chapter 20, verse 2, he begins by saying this. He begins by saying, I am the Lord your God who brought you out of the land of Egypt, out of the house of slavery. Before he says any you shalls or you shall nots, he begins with an introduction. And he says at the beginning of that introduction, what I want to show you here, he says, I am the Lord your God. Now, I explained in a previous sermon that when you see Lord in all caps like that in your Bible, that is the name he introduced himself by to Moses at the burning bush in Exodus chapter 3. It is, I am. So he says, I am, I am. (laughs) And so he introduces himself much the same way here at the beginning of this and says, don't forget, I'm that one who spoke to you. I'm that one who brought you out of Egypt out of the house of slavery. So God begins by a revelation of his grace by showing, yes, indeed, I'm the one who brought you out of Egypt. And this indeed is where all obedience to God begins. It begins by a revelation of who he is and what he has done. And so it shows his grace. It also shows his holiness. Indeed, this is the big point. Uh, He is obviously just that we can see from these commandments. He's merciful. He's kind. He's omniscient, unchanging, incomprehensible, uh, uh, omnipotent. You know, we can say all these things about God. Many of them show in his law But in the giving of the law, the number one thing he shows us is that middle attribute there, that he indeed is holy. I want you to think about the scene here, and I want you to try to picture this scene and put yourself into it. There's thunderings, there's lightnings, there's this great thick cloud that comes down onto the top of the mountain such that they can't even see into it. It is such a thick cloud 
cloud, and then there's this great sound of a trumpet. These great sights, these great sounds, these ominous things, these are, and and he gives them, in addition to these, these great warnings about coming close. Don't come close, and he says, lest I break out against them, as he says in the King James Version. What is this breaking out that God's going to do against him? Well, we get some hints of that elsewhere in Scripture. In other words, he, he would, would lash out to destroy them if they came too close. And he even tells the people, look, if anybody comes up here, you're going to have to stone them or shoot them with an arrow because they're not to come up here. So this is really, really serious. The people in the camp, it says, in chapter 19, verse 16, they trembled. So all this happens and then comes these commandments. See, God is holy. Mankind is held at a distance. Think about what we've learned so far in the Bible from the beginning of the book of Genesis. As soon as Adam and Eve sin, we find them hiding because of their nakedness. And then when they're expelled from the garden, God puts a, an angel of the Lord at the, at the garden with a flaming sword flashing back and forth to keep them from coming back. There's this great separation. And then we see people seem to be able to interact with God and seem to be able to worship to God and and approach Him with sacrifice. But the rules are rather unclear. And we do see that, by and large, people aren't doing this properly. God is holy. That means He is separate and distinct unto Himself. And the Ten Commandments here reveal indeed what it is that separates us from him. It is our sin. So far into Christianity, like 2,000 years since Jesus was here, we've become rather casual about our approach to God. And if we look at this example of how he tells them to approach him, of the seriousness of this scene, of the fear and trembling of the people, we begin to see something amazing. We begin to see that fear is appropriate. After all, this is the same God of the Old Testament as in the New. Jesus came and said over and over again, I am. And his reference to this God that brought them out of Egypt is so clear that they wanted to stone him for it and indeed eventually had him crucified by Roman authorities, this being one of the charges against him. He claims to be God. Well, Jesus did claim to be God, and he is indeed the same God, another person of the Godhead. So more than anything, what this scene shows us is that God is holy. But the next thing I'm going to say may surprise you. Not only does it show us that God is full of grace by the way he introduces himself, I brought you out of the land of Egypt. Israelites didn't do anything to deserve being brought out of the land of Egypt, but he brought them out. Then we see that he's holy, that he's utterly different, that this is such a serious episode that he's going to reveal himself to them. They have to be prepared for it. But the third thing I'm going to show you, the third attribute, and there's many other things, preach a whole series on these, uh, on these, what these laws reveal about his character. But this third one's interesting because it shows us his love. Now, what do you mean by that? Well, I want you to read then these in a new way. I want you to see 
that as you go through the Ten Commandments here, I want you to see the love of God. And here's how you do it. You get to these beginning commandments and what God is clearly showing you is that God wants you to live in a world in which everyone puts God first. They don't hide him behind false practices or pretense. They aren't trying to explain him with some kind of a carved image and diminishing who he truly is. They will always tell the truth about him and they will take time every week to join in recognition of him together with you. That's the world God wants you to live in. But then take it down into the the further in the commandments here. He wants you to live among people that honor their parents who taught them how to behave. He wants you to live in a world in which people will respect your life by not murdering you, your marriage by not breaking in, in adultery, your property by not stealing it. And they want you to live, God wants you to live in a world that is known by truth, a world devoid of falsehood. And they don't want you to do that. God doesn't want you to do this by force of law, but by force of character. Because he ends the commandments, the 10th commandment is you shouldn't covet. In other words, you shouldn't look at something else and say, you know, I I want that for myself. Because after all, isn't that what leads to theft? (laughs) And what leads to murder? Because you covet a situation without that person. It also leads to adultery when you covet someone else's spouse. He wants you to live in a world marked by this great holiness. Too often people look at the world and they say, well, where is God in all this? God must be this this terrible God because of all these bad things that happens. But here is a revelation of his will. His will is that you would live in a peaceful cohabitation with like-minded people who put God first in everything, especially their behavior toward one another. This is what God wants for you. People read the Ten Commandments and they say, look, to impose laws that we can't keep is just cruel. God's a cruel God because he gives us all these rules. We don't want to follow rules. We see them on an, as an infringement upon our rights. Now, isn't that the very definition of rebellion? That we look at the authority, the ultimate authority, which is God, and we say, God is imposing upon my sovereignty, my rights, with these laws, with these rules. He's restricting me. He's binding me. And we all look at it wrong. No, he's not binding you. He's freeing you to live in a world that's like this. Now, there's many more attributes of God shown by his details. Indeed, you could do a sermon on every single one of these and bring out attributes of God and say what he's like by this revelation, everything else. But that's what I wanted to show you is the character of God is grace and holiness and love. But something very important that this shows us is the will of God for his people. 
After Exodus chapter 20, what we come to in chapters 21 and following, and indeed many of them are reiterated in Leviticus, many more specific laws in Leviticus. Uh, There's more law given in, in Numbers, though it's mostly narrative. And then it's all given over again in Deuteronomy as the people Uh, some years later reiterate their covenant with God just before going into the promised land. But most of the law after this point is what you would call case law. This is what you would call moral law in which he says these are the moral absolutes. You, You shall do this and you shall not do that. These are the moral absolutes. But what follows then are the case laws in which he brings forth examples. If this should happen, you know, if your your ox should gore somebody, then then here's what you ought to do, and that's a working out of the principle of not murdering, of having respect for life, respect for property, things like that. What to do if somebody steals something, what to do when these things are broken. And so then he begins to show examples and he shows enough examples so that the people of Israel will be very easily able to apply these moral laws to any given situation. See, God desired Israel to be different, to, for Israel to show the world what he's like by following his law. Now, it turns out that God showed the world what he is like primarily by dealing with Israel because they don't follow the laws of God. And so all this case law is given to them so that they'll know how to apply the moral law. But the interesting thing is that the debate among uh, Christians and, and with other religions and stuff is whether these laws apply because these are given to the nation Israel. They're given from the context of, I brought you up out of slavery. I'm going to give you this land. So here's how you ought to behave. And so they'll argue from that and they'll say, see, we're not really meant to obey this today. This is different for us. Well, the difficulty with that is um, you could actually argue that except all of these 10 commandments are repeated in some way somewhere in the New Testament with reference to an expectation of the behavior of believers. And so there's this expectation of obedience in the New Testament, obedience to these very same principles, all except for one, and that's obeying the Sabbath. So whether we should observe the Sabbath or not is really a matter of conscience. I'll refer you to Romans chapters 14 and 15, where Paul kind of covers Christian liberty, whether or not we should obey certain things and how that becomes a matter of conscience and how we should deal with one another's differences in those matters. Do you feel like you should obey the Sabbath? Uh, Well, maybe you should then. If you observe it, I'll tell you this, you will be blessed. But if you do observe it, don't fall into the trap of supposing that you're saved by your obedience to observing the Sabbath, but make it an act of devotion to God, a response to his grace in proper worship as it should be. So these 10 laws represent God's will for his people. And he summarizes this in Jesus Christ as Jesus comes along and he says, love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength. That summarizes these first four commandments. Then he says, you shall love your neighbor as yourself, summarizing the last six commandments. But then Jesus also gives us a new one in John chapter 13. On the night he was betrayed and taken to be crucified, he tells his 
Disciples, I'm giving you a new commandment. And this is the commandment that will mark you off as being different, that you will love one another. So a, a special kind of love between fellow believers. And this then becomes a summarizing of the entire moral law. Love God, love your neighbor, love one another. But this, these commandments are more than a to-do list. And as we read these commandments, we notice immediately a problem. And the problem is that we can't keep these rules. We cannot keep these rules. And that is what we come to. And that is how this reveals to us our need for Savior. We're unable to keep these rules. And so we're really going to need God to do it. These are God-sized rules. Requires God to obey them. And God, as we know, is holy. The only attribute that God has in the scripture that is repeated in triplet, that means three times, is holy. Holy, holy, holy is the Lord God Almighty. And that is in the book of Isaiah. It's also in the book of Revelation. God is holy, and that means he's separated unto himself. He's utterly different and distinct from us, and that's because of our sin. And it's a very important theme in Scripture that we are held at this distance. The nakedness, the flaming sword, the approach of sacrifice, all these things are showing us that we are separated from God. And I want to show you further how separated we are from God. The condition of the world itself screams that we are separated from God. There is sickness, which is really death in progress. There is poverty. There is crime. There is injustice done in our world. And worst of all, and biggest of all, the biggest sign of the truth of all of this is death itself. If you have any doubt that mankind has a problem being separated from God, look around. God is holy, utterly distinct and different from us. And so these Ten Commandments represent holiness. And these Ten Commandments represent, therefore, something that we, in our fallen nature and because of our sin, we cannot reach. Well, thank goodness, the purpose of the law is revealed in the New Testament for us. The New Testament shows us clearly that the law came to increase the trespass. What does Paul mean by that? Well, you have to read the book of Romans up to this point. And Paul now is getting to why then did we get all those laws for the people of Israel? He's explaining it. They were given so that we would see what sin is. He describes him in the book of Galatians as a schoolmaster. In other words, the babysitter. You know, the law was the babysitter until such time that we have faith. Faith is grown-up religion. The, the law is the babysitter religion. That's what you do when you don't know any better. Is you have to have someone correct you. And so the law was here for us to look at and say, Oh my gosh, I have sinned. That's the purpose of the law. It was given to show sin, to show indeed that we all have sinned. Now, some would say, well, okay, that's fine, but not everyone has the advantage of the scriptures. Not everyone has the Hebrew Bible and the Ten Commandments. Well, Paul explains that too in Romans chapter 2, that he wrote the law of God on our hearts. Our conscience bears witness of what is right 
and what is wrong. This is why every human being has a sense of right and wrong. This is why every society has laws. And this is why God gave every society uh, earthly authorities, governing authorities over them. And we know that this is true. Now, some will say, yeah, but everybody's got their own idea about what morality is. Every society has different laws. Well, that is true, but that's because our consciences, though they're still there, though they show us that there's right and wrong and that there's standards, our consciences are messed up by our sin. Our thought processes are corrupted by our impartiality, our rebellion to God, our desire to want to do everything the way we want to do it. I hope this is getting to you. I hope you're seeing that, man, how much of my morality that I hold is because I hold what I want to comply with, what's easy for me to comply with. This is a cause for some self-examination. But let the Ten Commandments examine us for a moment. When we look at the laws, we might be able to look at those laws and say, you know what, I haven't murdered or committed adultery. But mind you, Jesus in the Sermon on the Mount, Matthew 5 through 7, he raised the stakes on this. He says, no, murder's not just about physically killing somebody. You're guilty of murder when you hate somebody. And I tell you, if you've been on social media lately, There's a little bit of hate going around. And that revelation of that hate in our heart makes us guilty as if we are murderers. That's what Jesus plainly teaches. He also teaches us that adultery is really just lust in the heart. And so that shuts us all up under sin. But then even so, let's ignore murder and adultery. Let's go on to the other ones. Every single human being has probably stolen something. That means did you take anything that wasn't yours without permission or paying for it? Ever. No matter how small. It doesn't have a price tag on it. God didn't put a limit on it. Has any of us ever disobeyed parents? Well, I'd say we do so regularly. But to honor your father and mother has even more about, you know, even more than just disobeying them. It's the idea of bringing shame upon them. So maybe you've broken rules. Maybe you've represented your family name in ways that would bring them shame, even if they don't know about it or didn't specifically tell you not to do that. Man, when we start going through these, it's hard, especially those first four, because what those first four commandments are showing us is we need to put God first in absolutely everything we do all the time. So why did God show us these rules if we can't possibly follow them? Because God already had in the works a new covenant. The law had its place and had its part in revealing sin, in setting things up for the nation Israel to bring forth Jesus Christ, who indeed would fulfill the law. Remember, Jesus said, I didn't come to abolish the law. I came to fulfill it. God puts all this law in place for Jesus Christ to fulfill it. And so we see that the law is designed to humble us. And this new covenant, those who believe in Jesus Christ, according to Jesus in John chapter 3, they're born again. And as he reveals to us in chapters 14 through 16 of John, those who are born again receive the Holy Spirit of God, one like Jesus, but one that's indwelling us. 
And this is how God reveals how this new covenant's going to be in Jeremiah 31. He says, now I'm going to put their, my law in their hearts. I'm going to fix people from the inside out. See, if we think we're following God because we're obeying certain rules, that's working from the outside in. And what mankind has a real problem with is that we are spiritually dead on the inside. We have a heart problem. Something at our core is wrong and needs fixed by the owner, by God. And so he causes us to be born again. He puts his Holy Spirit inside us. And then we're able by the power of his Holy Spirit to begin to obey the law. Not so that we can become good enough to qualify for God or to be saved, but so we can show that by by God's grace, we are saved. The law is designed to humble us, to put us in a point of saying, God, you are right and I am wrong. I do not deserve to be with you. I deserve death that was pronounced upon Adam. And even more, I deserve death because of my own sin. Did you ever wonder the mysterious beginning of Jesus' famous Sermon on the Mount? He begins with something that we've come to know as the Beatitudes. And indeed, he introduces one thing after another, a very poetic form, Hebrew parallelism. It's really beautiful how it's done. But in Matthew chapter 5, the first four that he covers are four very interesting things because what he's doing is he's describing the people of God. This is what God's people will be like. And we know that's what he means because he says over and over, these are kingdom people. This is what the kingdom is like. And the first four are poor in spirit, mourning, meek, and hungering and thirsting after God. So he gives us four very interesting things to consider. And we look at the law, and when we see the law, we do indeed see we spiritually have nothing to offer. We're poor in spirit. We indeed see that we have sinned, and that causes us to mourn. And then we're humbled. That makes us meek. You know, who am I to judge someone else? Because look at what I've done to these Ten Commandments. I've broken them all. And that causes us to hunger and thirst for righteousness because no one can see God without perfect righteousness. So when we come face to face with the law, the right response is, oh, I am undone. I am a sinner. What am I going to do? Because I've broken all these commands. Well, what we do is we repent of our sin. That is, we turn from them and we turn to God. We turn from them in a way that says, I don't want to do those anymore. I seriously don't want to do it anymore. I want to be right with God. And then we put our trust in Jesus Christ because what Jesus did is he lived out all the law for us. He acted perfectly righteous. He did everything the Father wanted him to do. He did it to the very best of his ability and to the very end, even death on a cross. And so when we come to God in repentance and faith in Jesus Christ, who bore the penalty for our sin on the cross, who fulfilled perfect righteousness in the law, when we do that, he places that righteousness upon those who believe. 
So what does this mean to me? How then should I respond to these things? And what should I learn from these things? Well, there are several lessons that we can learn here. And I want to begin with these. First of all, the first thing we need to see in all this is we need to see as we look at the law, our own need for holiness. In other words, our own need to be separated from our sins, separated from the world. In a spiritual sense, we're still in the world, but we're not to be of the world. The requirements of God's law show how great a salvation we have in Jesus Christ. So we really need to kind of meditate upon the holiness of God. We really need to consider how different is he. He's so different that if he were on earth, he would never disobey or disrespect his parents. He's so different that if he were on earth, he would never hate another person. He would never covet what they have. He would never take what they have. He would never bear false witness. He would be all about the truth and all about obedience to God, putting God first in everything and mankind a very close second. Think about this. That's exactly what he did. So we should see our own need for holiness. We should also see that the revelation of God and his word is the key to obedience. And this is powerful to, to see that as he introduced this passage, he introduces it with, I'm the Lord your God who brought you up out of Egypt, out of slavery. And then he brings forth these commandments. Well, how are these people ever going to keep these commandments? They're going to keep these commandments to say, I at least owe it to God to not covet my neighbor's stuff because that could leave me, lead me to stealing it. And after all, he gave me life. He brought me out of Egypt. This is how this works. The function of the law in this, the revelation of God in his word is the key to obedience to him. And finally, what I I want us to see here is I want us to see our own need for holiness, our own need for that. Um, And (laughs) lost my place here. All right. Um, the necessity for Jesus Christ to take our place, our own need for holiness. In, in Exodus uh, chapter 20, verses 5 and 6, uh, as he brings forth one of the laws here, he says this, and, and this is the law that we would say, you should make no carved image of God. In other words, make no image of him. He says, you shall not make for yourself a carved image or any likeness of anything as heaven or in heaven above, or that is in the earth beneath, or that is in the water under the earth. Now, some people say, is that a log in sculpting? No, the word that's used here, the idea of a carved image, these were used in pagan worship. We don't see a whole lot of that today. Uh, Satan is much more subtle than that today. Uh, Our carved images and the things we put in the image of God are our false religions, our own impression of religion. When we say, oh yeah, I got things right with God. Well, I'm kind of a little bit of Christian. I kind of believe in Jesus. I think he was a good teacher. All that stuff, that's a carved image because that's a false representation of God. It's a belittling of God. You whittle a piece of wood and say, look, look, there's, there's God. See God? There he is. God's much greater than that. Look at the thunder and the lightning and the cloud on top of the, look at the fear of the people and the great miracles he did to bring these people out of Egypt. Look at this. He says, you shall not bow down to them or serve them. 
For I, the Lord your God, am a jealous God, visiting the iniquity of the fathers on the children to the third and fourth generation of those who hate me. In other words, he's really serious. He judges and he judges temporally right now in the world today. And you can see this judgment being meted out on people. That's why we should be so careful as to not make our own image of God, but to see who he truly is. On the other hand, he shows steadfast love to thousands of those who love me and keep my commandments. And Jesus made it very plain. If you love me, you'll keep my commandments. He said this right over again. And that's how we know that we are his. We do our best to keep his commandments. We still sin and indeed will not reach sinlessness until we meet him face to face. But we have to strive together with God to be holy And in this striving together with him, in the earnest effort to cooperate with him in setting us apart to be different and distinct, that's where we will find true blessing. That's where you will find your best life. That's where you will begin to develop a testimony to be able to tell others about the goodness of God and who he is and what he has done for you. And in all of this are the greatest blessings that God has to offer on this earth. And that is your godly character in him by his grace and by his power and working with you to strive together this wonderful character of God the kind of character that's content in every situation, the kind of character is not so concerned with circumstances, but concerned about what God thinks and how we represent him. This is true liberty, to be liberated from the confines of this world that wants to strap you down and put its judgments on you and hold up at ridiculous and impossible standards against you. And instead this liberates you to live freely in God, by the power of his spirit. This is a wonderful thing. And the last thing I want you to see is this. See that the revelation of God is the key to obedience. God began by introducing himself, reminding them who he was. This is also our beginning. Before we can begin to obey his commands, we must experience his grace first. Know who he is. And the only way to reliably know who God is, is through his word. It's not some kind of a feeling we have. We need to be very careful about that. People say, well, I'm just kind of feeling my way spiritually. I feel like God is this. I feel like God is that. We were told in the Bible to that many other spirits will be contending with us for the truth. There'll be many other voices speaking and probably the loudest of which is our own desires. And we will make God after our own image if we don't seek him in his word. Know who he is from his very own word and let him deliver you from bondage to sin to faith in Jesus Christ. Then and only then can you set out to follow him in the power of his spirit and the revelation of his word. Let's pray. Father God, we thank you this day indeed for revealing yourself in this way in your word. Lord, let us understand the full weight of it as much as we can bear at least so that we can walk in your ways and glorify you on earth. 
Lord, we know that we cannot reach up to heaven by our good works, but we know that we can show forth heaven on earth by our good works. Let us then resolve to follow you to the best of our ability, but in the power of the Spirit of God and guided by your word. We pray this day that you'll reach everyone with this great message today, that they'll be liberated from bondage to sin and of the ways of this world, and that they will be liberated unto you to be holy, a holy nation, a kingdom of priests. For the offer extends, Lord, you are so good to continue to offer salvation. We ask you to bring it this day to many in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, if you've got any questions, and I would have to say today's sermon may have made more questions for you than it truly answered. Well, that's why we have an email address. So I invite you to contact us at whitesrunbaptist at gmail.com. You can find out more about us at whitesrun.org, and you'll find all the sermons there. And if this is the first one you've heard of this series, I recommend going back to the beginning of this series and starting in Genesis chapter 1 with us, because it's been a great adventure. We've learned a great deal about God as he's revealed himself to us. Well, God bless you. And again, I encourage you to consider these things, to think on the truth of God.